Benjamin Benoit, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks to you. So tell me, Benjamin, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I am French. I'm from Paris, born and raised. Um, so I lived in Paris until uh, 20 years old. Um, so that's my life in Paris until 20. Then many other adventures I can tell you about, but born and raised in Paris. Um, how would you describe your childhood? Honestly, pretty, pretty healthy childhood. Loads of love around me. Loads of love around me. Can't complain. Uh, lovable sister. Um, very good parents. So very healthy and, and lovable childhood. Yeah. Can't complain. Um, when did you, when you went to college, you moved out of college, you graduated, you went into the world of technology, sales, sales management, uh, but you were also a coach, right? So tell yep. me about the coaching work that you were doing. So I, I actually, I actually started to coach very amateur level uh, in football because that's the only sport that I knew uh, quite well. I played football when I was a kid maybe from six to 14. And then at 14, you know, you need to be very good to continue. I wasn't that good. Uh, but actually, I went to live and study in Strasbourg, which is in the east of France. Uh, and that's where I started because of a silly injury. I started age 22 to coach the, the, the football team there. Uh, actually, the indoor football team, very amateur level. Started, enjoyed it. I did two years. And then I went to study in the U.S., I did it again with the football, well, there it's soccer, but the football club association during a year. Then I went to live in Dublin, Ireland. And then again, I wanted to continue to coach football teams. So I reached out to Trinity College, to the president, and he told me, okay, come here, let's have a try. It works and you stay. So I coached one of the football teams of Trinity College that you might, you may know. Um, and then after Trinity College, I moved to other divisions, other teams until pretty much the best amateur uh, division of football in Ireland. I was in the staff, and that's kind of my career as a football coach. Three countries, few clubs, and that's how I started to enjoy the, the, the work, the job of, of coaching here. When did um, mentality and how did mentality become one of the most important factors in elite yeah. performance? When did you become aware of uh, it? So your question is about when I started to, to really enjoy that part of the coaching. Plus also, you must have figured out when you were coaching that okay. mentality okay. and psychology <laughs> yeah. is a really important part of, of, of what you're doing here. Yeah. Um, so it, I think the story is pretty cute. I started because, you know, you do amateur level. You don't have much knowledge. You're just learning by doing so I started to understand that, okay, you need to understand the tactical side and the physical side. But step by step, because it was very amateur level, I started to understand that the way you communicate to your team, any age, any nationality, any nationality the way do you communicate to your players, what you say, it's so important. It's key. And sometimes it's even more important than what you do on the pitch. So that's, I'm very amateur level again. That's when I started to enjoy it, understanding the way, how to approach your players, what to say, what to do, uh, 
uh, how to talk to each person, how to analyze the behavior, the attitude, the blockers. That's when I started to understand, okay, there is a, there is a mental part of it. And, um, and step by step, that's when at one point I actually realized maybe one year ago that, that I was so passionate about that, the mental aspect of the performance. Um, what is mental coaching? So b b before I give you an answer, I have to tell you that this is my view, my opinion of it. If you ask another mental coach, maybe you're going to have another uh, other type of answers. But for me, mental coaching, and I'll always, always refer as in sport because that's what I do. I am I, a mental coach of, of professional sport athletes. So for me, mental coaching is the training in sport is the training of um, your mental skills, abilities, capabilities in order to improve your performances. And while and it's very important, this the, the next part of it, while ensuring the well-being of the athlete, the mental well-being of the athlete, um, ensuring that the athlete, you know, feels a pleasure during training, during competition, and also ensuring the mental autonomy of the athlete. And what would you say is the difference between what a mental coach does and what a psychologist does? So I'm not a psychologist. That's what I can tell you. Um, I'm not a doctor, not a psychologist. I don't have the diplomas. But one of the main differences that I, that I see is that the psychologist at one point is here to cure, to analyze and to cure traumas. Really can, can be can go really deep traumas, maybe shallow traumas or adult traumas, which is not my job. It's not my job. Myself, because I'm in, I'm in also the sport um, area, my goal is at the end of the day, we have the same goal with the athlete. It's to improve their performances. If by the work we do, we manage to cure something, to improve attitude, behavior, feelings, emotions, fair enough and that's also the goal but once if i identify that something is you know hidden uh, behind and deeper and that i could call maybe a trauma then mm. it's not my, my job i have to refer it to maybe a psychologist that's that those are the main differences yeah i, I think it's interesting because anxiety and performance anxiety would be something that comes up on extreme levels of anxiety and stress and stress management yeah could be related to childhood traumas. So at that point, you would say, okay, you would refer your client or you would... It depends, it, it depends because it's not a perfect science. Mm. I, I have to be honest with you. Maybe on some discussions, the athlete will have the exact same discussion with the psychologist, exact same. Mm. Then it's for me to figure it out, okay, until this point, we did everything now I can't help anymore. Maybe there is a need of a, a, a medical professional, but it's true that maybe we can we can cross on many discussions about how to uh, uh, manage better your stress, your anxiety, and your emotions. Because I talk about that with my athletes. Yeah. Um, so, say for example, can you give me an idea of the kind of people that you've worked with so far in terms of athletes? You've worked yeah, with across yeah. different sports, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So so far, because I've I've started my my we can call it yeah my my own business of mental coaching, I I did only different sports. I didn't pick so far a niche. Maybe at one point, few months, few years, but I've worked with, uh, for example, uh, uh, trail runners. Mm. You know uh, those long uh, uh, races and and run in the mountains. Um, so I work with uh, someone in the from the French team, French national team, uh, French champion, one time, twice vice world champion. Uh, I worked with American football player, professional one, Spanish guy, because I I also as I speak three languages, I can work with different kind of nationalities. I worked with also para athletes, so athletes that have impairments. Uh, I worked with um, a player from the national uh, USA team uh, of soccer, para soccer team. Um, right now, in this moment, I'm actually working with a, an Irish lad, a para athlete, a track cyclist. He's actually, we are working together for him to qualify for the Olympics, Paralympics in Paris. Um, and actually, I have uh, two new athletes coming right now. It's going to be my first session with her, a Canadian athlete. Um, she did the Olympics in uh, in Tokyo. Uh, she ran the 400 meters. Um, she also ran the 4 by 400 meters with her team. So she finished fourth in, in Tokyo. And of course, her goal is to qualify also for the, the, um, the Olympics in Paris. And then I have a very brand new athlete. I got the news last week. Uh, I'm going to work with a team, a couple of ice skaters, professional ice skaters, and their kind of long-term goal is to qualify for the Winter Olympics in Milan in 2026. Okay, so you're based in Asia, so the work that you're doing is is over yeah. Zoom, right? So it's it's, it's online. Um, can you can you describe the process and specifically the initial assessment? How do you how would you yeah. do an initial assessment here? So now the process. Uh, whenever I'm going to work with a new athlete. First of all, before we have our first session together, uh, we're just gonna just gonna meet like you and me one week ago when we talked about you know the podcast. We're gonna meet and I'm gonna explain uh, what is mental coaching, uh, what are my beliefs about mental coaching, what's the purpose, and then the whole you know how the sessions are gonna work, and obviously because it's also my job, how the what's the financial aspect of of it. Um, and I need to ensure two things before I, I start working with an athlete. I need to ensure that the athlete feels the need of working with a mental coach. It's not a half need. Really, they need to feel the need that uh, they need that support. And second, that they are ready to commit. Because as you commit for your physical training, as you commit for your tactical training, you need to commit for with your mental coach and come to the sessions. Because so many athletes will miss any session with their physical coach. It's the same thing, and sometimes even more important. So that's that's the thing. And then when we we start the sessions, then the first sessions, the first session I call it the discovery session. It's maybe it's a longer one. No exercises, no uh, meditation, no relaxation. Just me analyzing and understanding. Okay, what's their sport history? How they see themselves? What's their perception of themselves? What's they? Why do they do this sport? Uh, what do they enjoy? Uh, there may be blockers, uh, their difficulties. How do they usually 
um, uh, manage their emotions and also their habits based on few points. The sleep, the hydration, how do they eat, their social life. And then at one point, I, I can trigger that actually pretty fast because the athletes, usually the athletes, they're going to share so many information. Uh, we decide a main goal together. A main goal together, for example, could be, um, okay, I want to really uh, be more positive on the pitch, for example. I want to manage better my emotions because I really, it's really, really blocking me to perform better. Those kind of core goals, and then this will help us to, to work really step-by-step step to work on that. Do you find that... Um... Does personal life come into it in any capacity? Relationships? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you have is. to go there? I, ha I have to go there. But I don't go on my own. Mm. I ask them questions, we discuss. And whenever we're going to discuss, they're going to talk about personal life. Because my goal is for... Sometimes I, I focus more on the person than the athlete. And I'm going to tell you why. Because usually... Not all of the athletes, but what I can trigger usually, the athletes, the person see themselves only as an athlete. I live as an athlete. If I perform good, then I'm a good human being. If I perform bad, I'm a bad human being. And they can go up and down really fast. But my goal is to make them understand they are a person first before being an athlete, a performer. Do you get any resistance? So what's the relationship, your relationship like with their actual coach, their team coach, or their performance coach at the club or the sport? So my my uh, relationship with their coach? Yeah. So um, I think it, it it's, it's good and it's better uh, if I can talk to their coach yeah. right away, the first time. First of all, to have the the, the coach story side. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's the coach story? Because maybe the athlete is going to analyze something about themselves. They're going to tell me a story. But I want to make sure that on their coach part, it's kind of the same story. Mm -hmm. it's not, I need to talk to the coach to also understand what's their, what's their opinion about that. What do they think? What, what, they, 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 what did they analyze before? And of course, but I always ask the, the athlete before. Because we know there is confidentiality, there is trust, but it's always better if we can work together as a team to, you know, to really help the athlete to grow in performance, because that's the final goal. Um, you mentioned confidentiality and ethics there. Yeah. Does that, yeah. is that part of the conversation when you're starting out with them? I mean, I presume yeah, athletes yeah. would be concerned. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. Um, we talk about, okay, this is a relationship of trust. Of course, you don't build the trust in one hour. It's going to be step by step. Uh, confidentiality, of course. That's why I need to ask them for their, for their uh, green light. Because some athletes, they don't have such a good relationship with their coach. So some athletes will tell me, for now, I wish not that you share with my coach what we are talking about, you and me. I need their green light. Uh, but yeah, confidentiality is a thing. If you are my athlete, it's just between you and me. And if you accept, we're going to include at some point uh, the, the coach, the physical coach. Um, what is um, the biggest 
Is there one factor that seems to be presenting more than others in terms of anxiety? Is it anxiety? Is it stress? Is it performance anxiety? Among the people you've worked with, is there a common thread? Is it confidence? Um, so so the, there are so many topics, but the core topics, four, five, six, and then subtopics. But usually the core topics that I, we mention, we work on, um, are going to be how, how to manage better management of stress, anxiety, uh, inner talk, uh, self-confidence slash self-esteem, self-perception. And for me, I really put the how to cultivate the positivity even on another part. It's really important for me. So those are the core topics. Of course, you have subtopics, but the, each athlete is distinctive. Each athlete is different. And each athlete has a different story. Um, but I'm going to say that the management of stress, management of anxiety, and management, how to manage better emotions in different situations, rather during training, before the race, before the game, during the game, or, or after, that's going to come back quite a lot. Yeah. And what techniques would you use then to help them during performance um, to reduce... Um, Get those stress yeah. levels and anxiety levels down. Yeah. Um, so and actually, I think it's it's very important that we you your questions are focused on on that topic because before I go on any of the topics that I mentioned, before I go on all those topics, I'm gonna go on this topic first: management of stress, anxiety, and emotions, because I want to make sure that the athlete has more tools, or has all the tools, tips, tools. Uh, habits to manage better uh, anxiety and stress and emotions. Because if he doesn't, then whatever we're going to talk about that, this is not going to be that much uh, qualitative because we can talk about other topics, but then if they don't manage their stress and emotions, they're going to forget about it all. So first, that's my first thing. After the first session, the second session, we're going to talk about that. Uh, what do I do? So usually... Uh, we are going to um, do exercises of um, uh, uh, relaxations, different kind of relaxations. So movement relaxations, you know, dynamic relaxations that comes from uh, pretty much yoga. Uh, it's a mixture between yoga, so slow movements, and a mixture of slow yoga and breathing. So we're going to start slow. You always need to start very, very slow. Some athletes, they did that in the past, so, but some, most of the athletes, they don't know. They have no clue. So we start with dynamic relaxation, some movements, while some technical breathing, always, always abdominal breathing. And then we're going to move to static relaxations, closing your eyes, feeling your breathing, uh, feeling your body, uh, and that's the first step. And then step by step, we can move really step by step by some very, very easy visualization about your just you, your body. Then we can go deeper. And then we can go after a few sessions if we, if we advanced on the right way to meditation. So we can talk about all of that while also talking about breathing techniques that they can do on their own. Everything I'm going to do with the, with the athletes, I'm going to ask them, I'm going to request from them uh, to, do that, to do that on their own. I'm going to do actually a, a mental training planning, weekly planning 
for them. As the physical coach, I'm going to ask them to do that on their own so, can they, so they can train. Um, one of the things that stresses, one of the biggest stressors for athletes is seeing a picture or something happening in an event that they hadn't anticipated. And this can really throw them. Um, do you work, would, would visualization come in there? Would you work on that side of side of things as well? How important do you think that is? So, so there, there are two things I would, so I like to differentiate. So say there are two parts. There is the mental training, all of exercises. And then sometimes I like to differentiate, say mental coaching, which are kind of a bit behavior that you can have way of thinking you can have different kind of perception you can have so i'm gonna also trigger and maybe make the athlete understand on how to perceive things how to take distance with uh with results with what's happening um with how to behave regarding all those distractions internal external um and uh, and also, you know, every day cultivate your positivity because that's something really difficult. Most of the athletes, most of the time, they're going to fail. Most of the time, they're going to fail. And small percentage, they're going to be first and they're going to win, usually. So that's that pushes the negativity around, negativity on the morning, at night, etc. So first, we're going to talk about habits, how to perceive things and how to cultivate more positivity. And then the other part, yeah. We can we can try to um, work on some visualization, um, some visualization. So uh, let's say we once we once we do easy visualization, then at one point we might work on visualization the athlete on the racing track, visualizing some emotions, be used to the emotions, be used to the distractions around. Uh, feel the colors, feel the sounds, the senses. So the athlete is used to that. I, I don't. Maybe uh, in one of your next questions, I, I can explain to you what what's happening while we do visualization mm. in the body, how it's so powerful. But yeah, we're gonna use also some visualization. So how is how answer that question then? There, how is yeah. visualize? <laughs> why is it so powerful? So if again step by step so important you can i'm going to do visualization from the first session with my athlete mm. uh no rush but it, it's actually when you do it correctly at one point and it's scientific if you train if you do it correctly at one point your body it's not is not going to do so much difference between you being on the track or you being in your bed because you visualize visualize so much details, you use so much your senses, and you train that, that it's actually extremely close to um, the the reality. So it doesn't again, it doesn't replace physical training. It doesn't replace my my athlete running her 400 meters on the mm. on the track. It doesn't replace, but it's an added uh, training. Uh, and it's for the athlete to get used to the the, the emotions and uh, the track and the technicality. So it's another an added training 
and it can really help the athletes if it's done correctly because uh, the body at one point kind of is going to almost feel the same. Imagine all the training you can add, all the training you can add, not being on the track. So that's one thing, but you need to differentiate also two types of visualization because to also make sure that the visualization you're going to do is not going to uh, be negative uh, uh, for you on the track because there are two types. Visualiz more types, but I, I want to divide just in two to make it simple. First, visualizations more focused on feelings and emotions. And it's okay if it's, it, it's not time exactly as reality. Reality may be the race, it's one minute but your visualization is gonna be maybe three, four, five minutes. It's okay because we're really focused on emotions and, and, um, um, and all that part, feelings and emotions, it's okay. But whenever we're gonna do visualization about technicality, the gesture, the action step-by-step, step, the finger here, the right and there, uh, the head on the left, on the right, this has to be as close as possible as the reality. Because if you train, uh, you do visualization and you do technical visualization and the timing is too far from reality, then when the athlete is going to go and train, it's going to be messed up. It's, not, it's actually going to do the all opposite. So those are kind of the two big parts of visualization. So you're mirroring the, the experience um, yes. before the event. I know in rugby, what they do, what internationals at, at the highest levels will do is the coaches will prepare plans for every eventuality, right? So Ireland are yep. playing the All Blacks this weekend. What happens if the All Blacks score three tries in the opening 10 minutes? What happens if we go 15 nil up? What happens, et cetera, et cetera. So every scenario has been brought into the equation and there's a plan to deal yeah. with with everything because the shock uh, it can be very, very detrimental to the athlete. So what's your perspective um, I know on the fear of failure and coping with failure, right? So do you find athletes will come to you and say, um, you know, uh, they'll have an enormous amount of uh, pre-performance failure anxiety, right? Yeah. They're dreading competing in case they fail. This topic can could could be so much different for every athlete, every person. We have different perception of the important importance of failure. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna work a lot on the the perception of failure. Um, I'm gonna work a lot of um, on what's the importance of failure. Uh, how important is it? What's what are the consequences? What are the worst that can happen? What are, and then we go far and far away. And, and at one point, we identify with, that, with the athlete. Could be easy, could be a long, could be take a few sessions, a few months. It's really the acceptance. It's not the avoidance. It's like if I have a distraction, if I think about negative things, if I think about, and you talked about what can happen badly, if I get injured, if I finish 10 of, instead of first, it's to accept. Okay. There is a whole idea of acceptance. You need to accept it's okay. You, you need to accept that you can fail. Doesn't define you. If I at my work, you know, uh, I I don't do something well, I'm still the same guy. I still have the same values. Doesn't define me. 
You're here to love, to enjoy, to be happy, to have pleasure. And if something goes wrong, it's okay. It doesn't define you. So those are the key topics. We can go on and on about that. I love those kind of topics, but I try to focus on that. Well, I mean, there, there is no success without failure. I mean, that's that's the, the key ingredient as well, of right? Course. So you, you've not been buried. You've been planted. That's how I see it. And I try to go on those kind of talk and conversations with, with, with the athletes. Well, it wasn't a Churchill that said success is the ability to go from one failure to another without the loss of enthusiasm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. And you learn so much more from failure, so much more. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So in terms of um, the effectiveness of your interventions, right? So how do you measure the effectiveness of the work that you're doing? First of all, okay, I'll be as, as honest. We need to see some results, okay? The athlete needs to feel that they, they, they can control better things. They have more tools in their mental toolbox. They need to feel that they are more positive, that they feel less stress on the morning when they wake up. They feel that whenever they are racing, they are less afraid about what's, what could happen. The way they react and they get up from a failure, it's actually better because they have a different perception, because they have a different attitude, maybe because each time there is a negativity, they use that switch thing and they change into positivity. So it's a lot about also the internal feeling of the athlete. Do they feel better? Do they feel happier? Um, do they feel that they control more what's happening in their sports career at any moment? So that's a big thing. If we improve that, and if they train correctly on the physical side and the tactical side, obviously that's key. They, at one point, they're gonna be an improvement of performance if we manage to improve that. So I know my answer is kind of here and there because it's not a science, but first, well-being, happiness, control, and then let's see if we can improve those performances. Okay. Um, how long, so say you take on a client tomorrow, what are you talking five weeks, 10 weeks, two months, three months? What does the initial work span look More like? Long term is the goal. So obviously the goal is to work with an athlete at least during the season. Usually their season can last six months, seven months, maybe eight, maybe less, depending on what sport, but it's to work with the athlete during the whole season. That, that's the goal. Now, when I don't know the athlete, the athlete doesn't know me, it's hard for them to say, okay, let's work for the next year together. It doesn't work like that. Mm. But what I what I, I ask to my athletes, and it's it's an ask, and actually I I wouldn't work with an athlete for less than that, at least at least minimum of three months together. Three to six months. We can't fix that in two sessions, in two weeks. So for example, if it's three months, we would do three sessions per month, nine sessions, but the goal is to work with an athlete the whole seasons. Because for some athletes, some blockers, we could fix it in three, four, five months. For others, it could take three years. Mm. So the long term is the short answer. Uh, are there developments or innovations uh, coming down the track 
in the field of mental coaching that you're excited by? Who would you point to as kind of the godfather or the godmother of who inspired you, I suppose, is the question. And uh, what's coming down the track? Um, so about who inspired me, hmm. um, I'm going to talk about a French guy. I'm a French guy, so I'm going to talk about another French guy. Um, but that's that's so when I, I started to be extremely interested, passionate and to realize, you know, why not? That's what mm. I love. That's what I believe I'm good at. Now, who to follow, who to read? Um, so there is this guy is he's one of the most uh, known mental coaching actually in France and in other some countries, but France mainly. Um, his name is Thomas Samut. And he, he, he became famous because, I'm not going to say he invent, invented something, but he started something different. He, he used to be a swimmer, good swimmer, but not Olympic level swimmer. And he started to coach and mental coach this uh, uh, club, the most famous club of swimmer in France, in Marseille, the Cercle des Nageurs de Marseille. So um, he started to coach those guys. Camille Lacour, Alain Bernard, Manodou, those guys that thanks also to him and his support and his coaching won so many world medals, gold medals. Uh, because he started, he, his vision and his focus wasn't just performance, the numbers, the, the hard training, the on and on and on. And uh, to get something, you need to train hard. He focused first on the well-being of the athlete on the happiness of the athlete and to make sure the athlete was happy to be in the swimming pool, that he was happy to be there for the right reasons. So, so he really focused on that because as he says, and I really believe in that, uh, long-term, long-term happiness, well-being, pleasure to be there from that, that will bring the performances. The opposite, I don't believe in it long term on the short term hard work hard work hard work no pleasure brings the performance middle long term that can bring mental issues that can bring maybe depression so he really focused on that he's kind of my let's say role model thomas samut now he works with different athletes different sports uh, first division of football in france skiers swimmers uh, etc and so on and so forth uh, and actually, my training, my license, my certification I got, it's from uh, the training uh, he actually created. Uh, so that's, he's my guy for now. My main. Um, what I'm hearing there, which is quite interesting, and it applies not just to sport, but to everything, is the enjoyment of the process. Um, I would imagine there are a lot of um, athletes who are, they train five, six, seven, eight, eight hours a day. It becomes exhausting. It becomes stressful. Yep. It even becomes boring. Um, and it yep. becomes hard. And changing the mindset around what you're doing to make it fun and enjoyable would seem yep. to be a sensible, um, a very sensible approach, not just in sport, but in um, in business as well. So... You, that's the guy that you're inspired by. What innovations are coming down the track? Where do you think the space will go? I was talking about that with another mental coach that actually he really is really into that. So neuroscience, he would use an app, a software. He would put, uh, you know, a, a, 
specific, very uh, kind of expensive uh, headphone uh, that you put on the head to the uh, to the athlete. He will talk about some topics. Uh, again, motivation, anxiety, stress, inner thoughts, self uh, esteem, self confidence, so, etc., etc. And then from those conversation, mm. the the you can get data. You can get data, so you can understand. Okay, what the brain is telling me? What the brain is exactly telling me in terms of data? Where can I trigger? Going way deeper, so it's data, it's science. And that he works this way. He has the app. He has the data. It's extremely. He has the Excel, and that's that could be, that could be the future. Am I gonna use it at one point? I don't know. That's not my first focus. Uh, but this is really something that that's coming. Yeah. So the the performer would be the athlete would have a headset on, which would be monitoring brain activity. All yes. through the training and all through the the, yes. the performance. Um, yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, I want to ask you about right the business side. Okay, yep. so yeah. you you're essentially a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Um, so you started out uh, with this idea. What were the yep. first steps you took on this um, journey? So, so yeah, um, so I have actually on my situation right now. So I, as I moved to Vietnam three months ago, my main job is I'm a recruiting consultant for a big uh, British company. And on the side, I'm an entrepreneur. I try to grow a business like that. Myself, the way I, I do things, go and ask questions. Ask questions to people that know. Ask questions that people that are already mental coach, already this, already that, that they know the job. They did the certification. They already went through the hard, hard part of how to do the pricing, how to create your, your the society legally, how to find the athletes. Ask the questions first, and before doing any planning, because don't do a don't do a map, don't do a business strategy map, a planning if you if you don't know much of the story. So that's what I did. I um, boldness, you know, not just here boldness in the attitude. Uh, go ask people questions, contact. Uh, uh, I, I asked so much, uh, I contacted so much people on LinkedIn that they didn't know me for some help, for some support. Ask people questions, identify who could be good at, and that's how I, I found the, the, the certification, the license I did. So ask questions, go for it, even, even if you don't know. That's the first thing. Ask questions, get the knowledge, get the knowledge, get the knowledge, get the knowledge, then make some choices. That's the first steps. Okay. So what you did first is you got the qualifications. Yeah. Then you reached out to build your network, yeah. right? In the field. The the big turning point at the start of any solopreneur or entrepreneur business is your first few clients. Right. Yeah. How um, did you get yeah. your first few clients? Um, so actually I started to work with athletes while I was uh, while I was doing the certification, um, okay. I contacting people again, how to find my first clients network, my network. Do you know, this is my plan. This is what I want to do. You know, do you know athletes? Do you know people in the sport industry? Do you know, do you know anybody? Oh yeah, I know. Contact him that con can contact him. Use your network. Even if you have two person, maybe two person can know four person. So the network, um, 
how to have your first clients, usually it's the network. My, uh, two, my only two first athletes, network, and the rest, uh, as I, I worked in sales before with you, that's how I know you, Connor. Prospection, <laughs> sales prospection. I okay. contacted, I, 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 the last two months, I, I contacted maybe 100 athletes. And that's how I found the others. Yeah. So you reached out to all of the athletes, um, which I, I think is a great lesson. There are great lessons here for anybody starting out in any business. Um, yeah. And you volunteered, basically. You asked them, do they need help? Yep. And you said, look, I, I can help you. I'm a trained mental coach. Yeah. Um, would you be interested? That's, yep. that's really interesting um, because that's your sales background coming in, using it, um, your networking yeah. experience to help build, build a business. Um, yeah. yeah. So in terms of scaling the business, yep. What does that look like? What, what's what's your ambitions in terms of scaling? Would you do you want to work with a hundred athletes a year, or how does it? What does it look like? Um, good question. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I'll I'll share with you the this nice small story. Um, before scaling, you need to. I think you need to. You need to have a kind of a, a first target, a first goal, that that you know that big step that will give you so much energy that will make you think, okay, I, I got there. Now it's time to, you, I got there. Okay, I can do it. Now I can scale. So uh, one, not one year ago, a few months ago when I left uh, uh, Paris for Saigon where I live now, um, I, I actually, one of my last days, I looked, uh, so I looked at the, I was on a boat on the Seine. I looked at the Eiffel Tower because we're going to have the Olympics in 2024 in July. I look at the Eiffel Tower and I say, big lady, in one year, I come back with an athlete that is doing the Olympics. So the first big step is to get that athlete. To get that, that first of all, it's such a nice feeling. So get that, get that first step. And then for me, what's the, what's the goal? How to scale? The big thing I will need is so to live as a mental coach properly, uh, one of the things is to get to work with a club, an association, a sports club, because it's a fun, it's a monthly, uh, uh, it's security. Mm. Because you're an entrepreneur, sometimes you have athletes, sometimes you don't have. So, of course, if you work with big athletes, maybe it's bigger money. Uh, they have, they are sponsored, a sports club, because it brings security to my business. So, more and more athletes. Building to a club, an association, why not a national federation? <laughs> the big dream. So that's that's how I would like to scale in sport. But then my strategy is to use my sport experience, successes, to then enter the enter the the job market. To actually, because what I do, I think I really believe I can do it with executives, you know, uh, uh, senior level vice presidents, country managers, whatever, because they go through so much. Also, responsibility, pressure. So, what I do with my athletes at one point to also have a healthy business, a growing business, to work with those kind of clients. And do you think there are parallels between what an executive experiences and what a high-performing athlete experiences? What would what, what do you think those similarities are? You mm -hmm. touched on it a little Definitely. bit there. Definitely, because 
performance, result, performance, result. Um, sometimes the pressure of your colleagues, uh, the pressure of your partners. Now we talk about you know work, industry, mm. uh, companies, pressure of your the stakeholders, the internal stakeholders, your colleagues, your director, your CEO. Pressure of the the external stakeholders, the sponsor, the partners, your clients, your products, investors. So all that all that pressure, all that pressure linked to result, linked to performance, definitely a huge link with sport. What I was hearing when you were talking is um, you were mentioning the importance of feeling good in what you do on a day to day basis, right? And my suspicion is that in the in the business space, in the corporate world, in the executive space, where they may be working 9, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, that there is a comparison to be had. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there is work for executives that could be done um, in terms of well-being um, and feeling confident and enjoying what they do as opposed to it being in a, in a, a grind um, on a day-to-day yeah. basis. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and, and in comparison with the sport athletes, whatever is professional athletes, semi-professional, even amateur, it's I am okay with what's happening. I am okay with the way I train. I am okay with the way I communicate with my coach. I am okay with how we, the whole thing is working. The same thing with uh, an executive or uh, uh, from it. Am I okay the way I manage people? Am I okay about the pressure that I, my boss is putting on me that I put on my employees and my sales rep and my, my people? Am I okay with that? Does that make me happy? What's the, how, how much stress it gives me? Do I, bring that, do I bring that home? Does it impact my, my personal life? Does it impact my family? Does it impact my kids? Does it, does it impact my partner? How can I make it so it doesn't impact those people at home and it impact less my 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 stress, my well-being? How can I what can I change? So there is also similarities with the athletes. So those topics definitely are, are topics that as a mental coach, I can support, I can help, and I definitely want to do that in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much, Benjamin Benoit. Thank you. 